Welcome back to the Startup Help Desk. We are a series of founders, experienced entrepreneurs, and investors here to answer your questions about how to build businesses, grow businesses, and hopefully eventually make lots of money doing so. We answer questions that you have asked. So if you have questions, find us online. It's thestartuphelpdesk.com or thestartuphd on Twitter. I am Sean Burns, one of your hosts. I've been an experienced founder, started two very large companies, Flurry and Outlier, raised over $100 million of venture financing. I have invested in, coached, and helped dozens, probably close to 100 companies at this point, on their growth journey. And I've made every mistake that you can make, which is why I do a little bit of CEO coaching now to help people avoid those mistakes that I made. But I'm joined by two more illustrious founders with lots of experience to share who will introduce themselves. Nick? Hey, this is Nick Melionis. I am the co-founder and CEO of a startup called Rev. This is my second startup. My first one was a crypto startup. We got that started back in 2013 and sold it back in 2018. Since then, I've been working hard to help founders and learn from the great ones like Sean and Ash. So I'm excited to be here. And thank you both for having me as always. Hello, everyone. My name is Ash Rust, and I'm a pre-seed investor based in San Francisco. I usually invest in B2B companies based in North America and the UK through my fund, Sterling Road. And I've also worked at other venture funds like Trinity Ventures as an entrepreneur in residence and Bullpen Capital as an advisor. Before investing, I was also an entrepreneur myself, most notably an early employee at the social media analysis company Clout, as well as the CEO and co-founder of SendUp. These days, I spend most of my time coaching founders, and I've helped more than a 1,000 startups over the years. There are more than a 1,000 startups out there? That's not possible. That's far too many. I know. Well, it's only the ones that TechCrunch publishes, of course. Uh, so one or two of those outside of that, I do venture, you know, venture capital. But um, Okay. So getting started with our first question before any more dad jokes come out. One question I get a lot is around competition. So if you see other startups doing the same thing as you, is that a sign that there is a demand for the opportunity or is it a sign that you are not differentiated enough? So if you see other startups doing the same thing, is that a sign that there's a great market out there, this is a good opportunity, or that you're not differentiated enough? Oh, man, we could talk about this forever. The first thing I will say is that Every good idea, every good company has competition. Whether or not you know it's out there, there's going to be competition because if if it really is a good idea, lots of people will see it. And sometimes that competition is other startups. Sometimes it's large companies that might want to get into that area of the business. Sometimes it's somebody who has the idea. They haven't started the company yet, but they will in the future. Whatever it is, you have competition. And talking about it, acknowledging it is a really good thing because it means validation. It means your idea, your problem is interesting enough, but also there's enough money involved that other people are also pursuing that outcome. In fact, a lot of people are afraid of what happens if the big tech companies or the big companies in my space start to compete with me. That's great. That's perfect validation because they would not compete with you if there was not a substantially large amount of money to be made doing it. So that's great. That's a, It's a signal you're on the right path. At the same time, though, knowing that you're going to see competition It's a bad thing if you don't have any differentiation. And differentiation is what makes you look different than the competition, what makes you look different than everything else that's out there, what makes you stand out. And so knowing that you will have competition, knowing that it's out there and acknowledging it, the question is, how can you focus your efforts, your product, your company in ways that make you different than those other options? Sometimes it's price, sometimes it's features, sometimes it's your 
business model. Sometimes it's the kind of customers you sell to or the experience you give them. Whatever it is, you need that differentiation. It is the number one priority for any company getting started to stand out from the competition that they have on the floor. Nick, what did I miss? Well, hang on, Sean. Does this mean you're going to start a uh, one-click checkout company? (laughs) So there are ideas that have so much competition that it's a bad thing. I think that's what Ash is getting at. And so if your market has so much competition that you don't see any way to differentiate, I I would recommend probably looking for another problem because it is possible for the, the area you're focused on to have so much competition that it might not be possible to grow fast enough or find a way in. There might not be a lot of avenues left. I mean, if you're going to try to make, you know, generic breakfast cereal, there's not a lot of differentiation left in the market these days. It sounded like a maybe then. Is that right, Sean? <laughs> a solid maybe on the new cereal company. Absolutely. Nice. I love that. Well, just to continue those thoughts, the as a startup, your biggest competitor is apathy. And I think this is Sean, something that Sean... Is that apathy.com, Nick? Or is that... Oh, gosh. Did I just reveal the... Did I reveal our next launch too soon? That, uh, that That's forthcoming. So, yeah. So, the big risk is that nobody cares what you're doing. And if nobody cares what you're doing, you're very likely in trouble. So, the good news, if you seek competitors, is that your quote-unquote apathy risk is much lower. The market in this case is saying that your potential users or customers actually care. So congrats, that's a good sign. That being said, it's important to learn from your competitors. In short, you can stand on their shoulders, so to speak, to figure out what works for them and really try to understand why customers or users are using their solution. And of course, the theme of this conversation is that your differentiation is key. The majority of your efforts as a founder should be focused on figuring out if your differentiation can lead to some fantastic outcome or if you need to adjust course. So figure out how you're different and why, and then spend the rest of your time seeing if you're on the right track or if you need to adjust. And of course, on this startup journey, you'll be making plenty of adjustments along the way. But if you see that there's a market demand for a solution, at least you know that you're on the right track. Ash, I have to ask you, I, ha- I can't stop visualizing Nick going up to his competitor saying, listen, can I climb on your shoulders for a second? And then giving him a crazy look. <laughs> That's right. That's so this a- is an opportunity. Art by Burns, everyone's favorite Instagram account, should now start doing some of the visualizations from these podcasts. Yes, that is perfect. I will get right. Thank you, Sean, for volunteering. We really, really appreciate it. Some of it can go on t-shirts. That's a must have. (laughs) This is the future. That's right. Go to artbyburns.com if you're looking for cutting edge art about the humor on this podcast. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Let's move on to our next question. Again, all these questions are submitted by you, the audience. If you have a question, please do submit it. We'll cover it in a future episode. The next question up, and this is a good one that I'm sure all three of us get on a constant basis. How do you acquire your first five customers? I love this. I'll, I'll hop in and give a first response here. And this, this question is one that is not debated enough simply because it's so important. The short version of it is that finding your customers is so hard. You have to be extremely creative. You have to leverage your network. So ask for referrals. And you have to find ways to make incremental advancements. So what that means is expecting to host a launch party 
and then all of a sudden have uh, your gates flooded with customers is unrealistic. Instead, you have to find ways to really work and uh, make these small advancements to acquiring your first customers. I'll tell a first a quick story here, and then I'll turn it over to Ash and Sean for more details. For my first startup, the way that we acquired our first customers was we hosted a pancake breakfast. We had a tool that media creators online could use to accept Bitcoin or other forms of alternate currencies, essentially a paywall replacement. And so we hosted a pancake breakfast. We put up a fake paywall on that breakfast. We invited investors, local startups, crypto enthusiasts, and we said, come join us at breakfast. In order to participate in our breakfast, you have to do something to break through this fictional paywall. They could tweet about us. They could introduce us to prospective customers. They could sing a karaoke. In short, we found fun, creative ways to really build this community of brand champions that wanted to see us succeed. Along the way, we got tons of referrals. We were connected to media outlets that could write about us. And we built this community of people that said they wanted to see us succeed. And so I bring this up because you've got to think so creatively about finding a way to stand out and just get somebody to back you and say, you know what, I want to be a part of what you're doing. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Tim. The first lesson is you have to get this pancake recipe from Nick because apparently this stuff is magic. I don't even know what he puts in them, but it works. We've been crafting that meticulously for years now. So you you can find that in the show notes. And then are we going to launch Pancake Coin? I assume we need a token to back this. (laughs) That's right. That's right. There's no better way to validate that idea. The first on-chain breakfast meal. (laughs) Ash, you, you acquired a lot of customers for your companies along the way, and you've helped companies do it. What are your best practices? Those first five customers are so critical. So, yeah, my answer is more boring, and it's a little more focused on finding B2B customers. So the easiest way, as Nick mentioned, is network introductions. If you have existing personal relationships in an industry that you want to sell to, you can use those to get feedback from potential customers. And if you solve their problems, they should become your first customers. Now, obviously, most people don't have those kinds of network connections in an industry. So I like to suggest the customer advisory board. This is essentially creating glorified sales leads. You're going to reach out to people cold, but rather than asking them to buy, you're going to ask them for advice because of their deep insight and influence in the industry. You call them advisors, but they're glorified sales leads. You can get a much higher response rate to your emails if you do it this way. And these people are now vested because they're your advisors. They're going to put it on their LinkedIn that they were an advisor to this cool startup. And so they, they might give you lots of feedback on your early versions. And again, some of them will become your first customers. The other channels that I see startups using at the early stages are content marketing. But obviously, you do need someone on your team with a flair for that. Otherwise, it can get very expensive and it's far from guaranteed. Consulting is also very popular where you're going to build something 100% custom. Uh, for your target market with a view to trying to figure out what's the most repeatable or scalable part of it. And then community first. So with a lot of open source developer projects and crypto projects, you'll see people building out their community around some kind of point of affinity, maybe a tool or a location or a sports team or whatever. And they can use that as a mechanism to get started with their first users. Cool. Well, I mean, I, I don't know much to add to that, Ash. That was very comprehensive. All I can add is it's hard to get those first five customers, Ash and Nick have given good examples. I was joking a little bit about Nick's pancake recipe, but the reality is you have to be scrappy. 
I will just say this, everybody, your first five customers are the hardest. It's always the hardest. And whatever you can do to get them, you should do it. I'm building a community first. I've done everything from create newsletters. So you have newsletter subscribers, but it's hard. It's hard. And in fact, I will go so far as to say, Ash and Nick, I don't know about your experience. I would say most startup companies or, or most companies that are started never get to those first five customers. That the fact if you can get five Absolutely. customers on your product, that actually puts you well ahead of, of the field, in my experience. What would you guys say? Absolutely. 100%. Most people raise money before they have those kinds of customers, especially over the last few years, or at least try to. Um, and vast majority of businesses never get anybody using it, and certainly not five people using it on a regular basis. It's so true. And I feel as if on this entrepreneurship journey, there almost needs to be a a shift in terms of understanding how important it is to be acquiring customers. We use uh, these buzzwords that talk about innovation, you know, design thinking and the lean startup methodologies. The short version of it is make sure that somebody cares that you're trying to solve their problem. A great way to do that is to acquire customers and to do so creatively, uh, do so in a way where you can be able to, of course, start solving even a slice of their problem and do so where they want to be able to support you further on this mission. And so those that succeed in doing that are putting themselves in a great spot. And don't worry, by the way, Ash and I are going to go out. We are going to taste test these pancakes from Nick just to verify they are as good as as he says they are for your lead generation needs. And we will report back to you after we've done that. I'll tell you this. We're we're a chocolate chip pancake kind of household. So uh, we'll, we'll make some classics, but we're all about a good chocolate chip pancake. (laughs) <laughs> minted as an nft and if you get the chocolate chip rarity that's obviously going to increase the value of <laughs> each true. token that you own yeah the chocolate chip with the hat coming up next week on the startup help desk we're going to have buzzword bingo if you got just saying every single buzzword in tech in an episode you you've got it you'll get some free pancakes or, or something we'll figure it out because that's this is perfect. not a buzzword show this is a startup help desk we're supposed to be credible founders helping people navigate these treacherous waters. And we absolutely are serious people who would never joke around about these things, for sure. Okay, do we have any more questions on the queue for today? We do, yes. We've got a final question for the day. And so this is one that I know that a lot of people uh, would love to get some great insights on. How do you fire someone from your startup? Sean, Ash, what's your take? Oh, Ash, you can definitely go first. Um, Yeah, not because I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, really appreciate that. Uh, just team you write it. Obviously, uh, I work with a lot of very early stage companies and they make plenty of mistakes hiring. So this happens a lot. And there's a fairly set out process here. So first of all, unless someone has done something where it's kind of a, a severe HR violation like theft, fraud, harassment, you're not going to lay them off on the day that you decide to. In almost all cases, you're going to give them one more chance. So that first chance is called a PIP, a performance improvement plan. And there you're going to lay out the reasons for their underperformance. You're going to give them a a short timeline to recover with some very clear goals. Uh, But don't worry, almost nobody ever hits those goals. In fact, everybody that goes on a PIP pretty much knows they're going to be leaving very soon and should probably start looking for a new job. It may be in the four or five dozen pips I've I've worked with uh, founders over the last couple of years, maybe one person has made it through and it was probably more to do with miscommunication than anything else. 
After that, maybe one or two week PIP, I usually recommend two weeks. You're going to let them go with reasonable severance and ideally a month of health insurance if they're based in the United States. Now, when you do that conversation with them where you're letting them go, you're going to have to have spoken to a lawyer before that and don't go and have the conversation by yourself. You need to have someone else in the room, usually another executive. Don't make this uh, firing conversation a long conversation. You're going to get straight to it. The decision is already made. Make that very clear. You're now just focused on their future. You'd like to give them as good a reference as you can, this fair severance. And all you need from them is for them to sign a perfectly reasonable non-disparagement agreement. Once that is signed, you're going to give them their money and uh, their health insurance details uh, whatever they need on that front documentation wise, and then um, immediately remove them from the office if they're physically present there um, and remove them from all the systems that they can log into. So it's not fun. I'm definitely giving you the matter of fact outline of this. Obviously, there's an awful lot of emotions in this, but it's important you get it right step by step because you don't want to have uh, any creation of legal exposure for your company. Uh, it's so true, man. I, I'll just I'll underline what Ash said about the emotions of it. I mean, firing people is is hard, and it's not just hard on the person being fired, and it, it's very hard on them. It's also hard on you. It's a very traumatic emotional experience for everyone involved. And my recommendation is acknowledge it will be traumatic and be prepared for it. So not only do you want to be clear and, and structured in your communication, like Ash says, to the person being fired. You also need to make sure you have a support network around you um, because you have to process the emotions of doing the firing, of, of terminating someone. And I'm not saying that terminating them is as traumatic as being fired, but it's pretty it's pretty traumatic. And you want to make sure that you can recover, be supported and get back to the business because you need to get back to running the business as, as you need to. Um, and supporting these people is important. I just a quick note also on severance agreements, people in the U.S. at least, are not legally entitled to severance in general. And giving them severance is definitely the best practice and something you should do. But your lawyers will, as Ash said, ask them to sign a severance a really, a severance agreement, essentially, which includes a non-disparagement, but it also includes an agreement not to sue you. And so essentially, the severance is in exchange for their promise not to sue you, releasing those liabilities. It's a very important fact because since it's so emotional, I can't tell you how many companies where, you know, if you imagine you've been fired and you get angry for being fired, which is very natural and a very common response, some people will take it too far and they will try, they will sue your company. And one of the problems about being sued as a company is that even if it's without basis, even if it's a, a lawsuit that will get thrown out, it's something that will be on the radar of potential investors, of other people. And you just don't want that kind of shadow over everything else that you're doing. And so severance agreements are not just the right thing to do. They're an important part of protecting your business from what might be spurious lawsuits in the future. But again, process the emotions. It's traumatic. And the worst thing you can do is try to draw it out. Just being short to the point may sound really cold and heartless, but it turns out to be the best thing you can do for anyone because going into depth, it just, it just gets worse. But I hope all of you never have to fire anyone, even though Ash, Nick, and I both know that's absolutely going to happen. You have any form of success or growth in this business, and you're going to have to fire someone, unfortunately, just how things go. I have done this countless times now. I just aspire never to get good at it because I feel like if you ever get good at firing people, there's part of you has died inside somewhere. I don't know. Ash and Nick, how do you deal with the, the emotions that you have being on the side of the manager having to let someone go? 
So yeah, that is definitely a really good point. I have now had to talk founders through this so many times that I have had to detach from the reality of this, that I'm just ignoring the fact that this person has a family and uh, all the other trimmings that go with the reality of, of hiring and letting someone go. And it's because I'm just focused on the, the legal liability, a, a sad financial reality of the environment we live in, but it's incredibly tough on the managers as well. I find that in, in a lot of cases, people are so worried about their about the firing process for themselves as a manager even though they're not going to be let go that they will delay it they just it's that uncomfortable so that can be the only reason why you might hold off on firing somebody such is the difficulty so acknowledging that very very important probably doing some training around it i agree nobody wants to get good at it but you want to get make you want to at least make sure you have a checklist for it so you don't make any mistakes during it well, let, let's end on a positive note, Nick. Give us some good news. Give us something positive to end on here because we can't end on that note. Whew. Well, if we had started with question two with the pancake breakfast, we probably would have been able to stick the landing a little bit differently this time around. So um, perhaps the, the positive note is to get back into customer acquisition mode and think about acquiring those first five customers and all of the creative ways that you all can do so. And like let that. us know how you do it too. Tweet at us, uh, send us details about it. If you're coming up with creative ways that you're acquiring your first five customers, we want to hear about it. And so as a fun note, share your wins with us, share your challenges with us. We're here every step of the way. And that's the good news, actually. The good news is that you, everyone out there, you can ask questions. We will address them in the future, no matter how uncomfortable they might be. Again, tweet at us. It's The Startup HD on Twitter. Our website is thestartuphelpdesk.com. We'd love to hear from you. All these questions came from founders just like you. If you have questions, we'd love to answer them in the future. As always, Ash and Nick, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you both. Absolute blast. Thanks, guys. Great to chat. As always. And we'll be back in the future with more Startup Help Desk. <laughs> <laughs>